Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Last week, we took a look at Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, just a few short verses, and yet in these few short verses, we get a portrait, a picture of the earliest days of the church. This was a community of people who were devoted to each other. They were also devoted to the various functions that they did, the things they did together as they came together as a community. In fact, these are things that even after 2,000 years are still things that the church commits themselves to, devotes themselves to as they gather together. And we took a look at several of those things. And this is a group that was also devoted not just to each other, not just to those functions, but also to the very mission that they were entrusted with by the Lord. And so much of what we read last week, we could picture in our minds. In fact, we could picture them being devoted to each other. We could picture them fellowshipping together. We could picture them celebrating the Lord's Supper and committing to prayer together, even selling their possessions to help their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in need. We could picture these things. And regardless of how well or how poorly we've engaged in these things, regardless of the differences and how we might approach these things versus how they did in their day, right? And even regardless of the temporal and cultural gaps that exist between them 2,000 years ago in Israel and us here today, yet we could still understand what is taking place as we read of such things in these verses. Yet one verse from last week might not have been so obvious. One of these things is not like the other one, and it comes right out of Acts chapter 2, verse 43. It says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And so this might seem different from the other things because while we read in the scriptures of miracles and we see signs being performed throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, that's not something that we necessarily have ever seen in such magnitude in our very midst, in our time, and in our context. And so this might be just a little harder for us to wrap our minds around. So let's begin with the obvious question. What are we talking about here? So after all, while there are thousands of Christians at this particular point that we're reading about, Luke informs us that it's the apostles who are doing such things, not everyone. In fact, he takes the time to point out that it is the apostles who are doing these signs and wonders, and everybody was amazed at what was going on. So this is not talking about spiritual gifts, those things that all Christians have, even though there were some rather spectacular spiritual gifts given to the church from its earliest point, this is something different. This is something beyond. Now, the Greek word actually that we see here that describes signs is a word semea, which means miracles or signs. And the vast majority of Bible translations interpret this word as signs because of the context in which these things were done by the apostles. So let's ask this question, what is a sign? Now a sign is a miracle, but it's a miracle that's intended to confirm a message or to confirm a person. 
So if we remember back to our study of the Gospel of Luke or our own reading of the Gospels, during his ministry, Jesus did many miraculous things. But there were miracles that he specifically did that demonstrated something about who he was or confirmed a message of his. And now the apostles are leading the fledgling church in fulfilling its mission to make disciples of all nations. And God has given these apostles power and authority to perform signs in Jesus' name. Signs that confirm the gospel message that they have been proclaiming. And the people who saw these things were amazed. And I have to imagine that whether they were Christians who have seen things like this before, maybe from Jesus himself or other things that the apostles have done, or non-Christians, Jewish people around the area who have not seen these things before, you can't help but be amazed at the things that were being done. And so today we're continuing on in our study of Acts, picking up in chapter 3, and while last week's passage informed us that the apostles were performing these kinds of signs, today we get to see one of these in particular in our text. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and it says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So let's talk for a minute about this lame beggar. Verse 7 indicates that his problem was with his feet and his ankles. Clearly, a debilitating condition in the feet and the ankles would keep a person from walking, which in turn prohibits the person from doing much else, right? In fact, think of all the things that we often take for granted, and this man did not have the ability to do it because of the nature of his condition. He couldn't stand. He couldn't walk. Clearly, then, this man, who couldn't, he couldn't care for himself. He couldn't care for others. This is a man who couldn't work to provide for himself or his family. He was at the mercy of everyone, which is why we're introduced to him here as a beggar, desperate for a handout. In fact, not only was he desperate as he's begging, 
desperate for somebody to help him by giving him money, but he was also even desperate for help to get to the location where he would be begging. It said in the text that he had to be carried to the place where he would beg. And so each and every day, someone would have to carry him there and someone would have to carry him home at the end of the day. It's also important to recognize that this man, he was born this way. He, in fact, he has spent his entire life dependent on other people. He has never known anything else. He had no hope of one day gaining the ability to walk. He had absolutely no reason to think that his situation would ever change for the better. In fact, he had to assume that this is exactly the situation that would persist until the day that he died. And this is the only life that he has ever known. However, the fact that this man was born lame also makes for an interesting element of the story. Because everyone who arrives at the temple by this way, by this gate, with any kind of regularity at all, has seen this beggar. In fact, he's probably been there for years. His healing wasn't staged. This man was no actor. This wasn't a con. Everybody would have seen him and known his story and would have seen him for such a long period of time that they would have known when they see him walking that something miraculous had taken place. Hey, 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 that's the lame beggar who's been here for years. And there he is walking and jumping and praising God in the temple courts. Now, I also want to highlight some important things about the apostles, Peter and John, as we see them here in this portion of our story. These men were once fishermen in Galilee, in the northern part of Israel. However, Jesus had effectively made them fishers of men. And now their base of operations was at the temple, was in Jerusalem. This is where they spent a lot of their time in ministry and in mission. As we saw last week, they met with other Christians on the temple grounds daily. Every single day, they were there at the temple, discipling others, fellowshipping with other Christians, and doing the things that Christians did as they gathered together as the community of faith on the temple grounds. But these men were also Jews. Now, this wasn't something that changed when Jesus came on the scene. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, promised throughout history to the Jewish people and his apostles. And in fact, all the first disciples, all the first Christians were Jewish. And as we see, Peter and John continued to participate in the prayer services at the temple, which took place after the morning and evening sacrifices at either nine in the morning and three in the afternoon. And we also know that they continue to see the importance of the temple for the proclamation of the message of God. After all, this is where the prophets would come and proclaim God's messages throughout history. This is where teachers would teach to crowds. This is, this is the temple, the heart of Judaism. And the gospel was intended first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so it was on the temple grounds that Peter and John and the other apostles focused much of their proclamation of the gospel message. And on this particular day, Peter and John were heading in for the prayer service in the afternoon, and they came upon this lame beggar who stopped them and asked them for money. 
And this man became ground zero for a demonstration of the truth of the gospel, a miraculous sign performed by the apostles. We read in chapter 3, verse, ten, uh, verse 4 and following, it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So certainly this was a miracle, right? But how do we know that it was a sign? Here's just a few observations. This lame beggar, he was not a Christian. There's no indication in the text. There's nothing that would imply that whatsoever. He was a Jew for sure, but he was not a Christian. He did not have faith in Jesus. It's different from the miracles that we see throughout the Gospels as people had faith in Jesus, that he could heal them. And so he did so. This man was not looking for healing. He was looking for money. And he was not a Christian, and he did not have faith in Jesus. In fact, the only reason he engaged with Peter and John was in the hope of getting money. Yet by healing this man, they demonstrated the truth of their proclamation to him and to everyone else around who witnessed it. And that's the second observation. We know it was a sign because while this man received the miracle, it didn't just impact him, it impacted many others. The text said that the people were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The apostles were doing much more than just showing mercy to this man. Although mercy and compassion are wonderful things, we're called to have them. And certainly in this action, they are showing mercy and compassion to this man. But not just to this man. They were also showing mercy to the crowds by demonstrating the truth of the gospel to all around that they might benefit of, from what God has done for them. Now let's be perfectly honest with each other here today. We do not see signs like this taking place in our day. We just don't. That's not saying that God doesn't answer prayers. That's not saying that God doesn't heal. That's not saying that there aren't spiritual gifts among the, the, the church, the body of Christ, to minister one to another. We see these things taking place for sure. But we don't see these kinds of signs taking place on this scale in our, in our context today. So again, don't get me wrong. I believe that the Holy Spirit has endowed the church with spiritual gifts for its ministry one to another. I believe that all of the gifts, including the rather spectacular ones, they're still in effect today. However, what we see here, the power and the authority given to the apostles to perform signs and wonders that confirm the gospel to non-Christians, we don't see that in this way here today. But does that mean that we are left without a substantial means of demonstrating the truth of the gospel? Listen, this is one of the ways in which the gospel was confirmed in their days. 
So if we don't have that, at least to the same extent here in our day to day, does that mean that we're left without a substantial means of demonstrating the truth of the gospel? Of course not. Of course not. As we've seen through our study thus far, there's certainly substantial evidence that demonstrates the truth of the Christian claims. So much so. It's an embarrassment of riches when we look at all of the evidence that corroborates our claims. Even the eyewitness accounts of signs and wonders performed by Jesus and the apostles is still evidence for us today. These are historical documents recorded by eyewitnesses and preserved well throughout time that we could have records of these things having occurred in history. And so there's plenty of that. However, I think that this passage also provides another way that we can demonstrate the truth of the gospel in our context today. Another sign, if you will. Now here's the thing. People have all kinds of obstacles that keep them from hearing and responding to the gospel. This was true in the days of the apostles as they were uh, preaching in the temple grounds to all those who have not yet received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this is true for us today. People have all kinds of obstacles that keep them from hearing and responding to the gospel. As a Christian apologist, I tend to focus most of my energy on addressing the intellectual obstacles that people have. For instance, some people don't respond positively to the gospel because they don't believe that God exists, or they subscribe to a different religion, or they have a hard time reconciling the idea of a good God with all the evil that they see taking place in the world. And so for each of these intellectual obstacles, there are answers Answers that could help them to overcome those obstacles and to consider the gospel. But here's the thing. Not all obstacles are intellectual obstacles. There are obstacles of all kinds. All kinds of situations can present obstacles to the gospel in people's lives. Here's just a couple of examples. Someone who's just recently lost their job. Or a family being evicted from their home or a single mother who can't provide for her children, or someone who just received a terminal diagnosis. And the list goes on and on and on of obstacles that stand in the way of people hearing and responding to the good news of the gospel. As Christians, we can remind one another of the big picture, right? That the struggles of this world are temporary. That God comforts us in these dark situations. That our hope, our inheritance is secure and coming one day when Jesus returns. As we go through dark times, we can remind ourselves of these things and hopefully find hope and joy even in the midst of struggles here on this earth. Yet even as Christians, if we're being honest, we forget to keep these things in perspective when these types of traumas occur. We tend to hyper-focus on the problems before us we often forget to pray. We often forget to trust. And how often do we abandon our joy in the midst of these struggles? Now imagine those who don't know God, who have no such promises that God is in control, who have no access to his comfort, who know of no future hope, no change, nothing better beyond the current struggles that they face. This is the reality for so many people. And while you and I could use our words to speak of such things in these times that they go through, 
The weight of what they know at that moment overshadows what might be true as they endure those moments of trauma. So what can we do? What sign can we perform to demonstrate the truth of the gospel message that we proclaim? Well, let's look at what Peter and John did. They didn't perform some arbitrary miracle, which would have been equally amazing. They could have said, hey, 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 lame beggar sitting at the gate, look at us. I am going to call down fire from heaven to demonstrate that the things I've been preaching about over here are true. Keep your eyes on me. Watch this. Hey, don't get me wrong. If Peter and John had called down fire from heaven at the temple, that would have been pretty cool. But that's not what they did. What did they do? They healed a man that was lame. They addressed a need in his life. They removed an obstacle to him following after Jesus. They healed him. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like in our context? I'll give you some examples. They may be uncomfortable. They may be things that you never would have thought to do, and so I challenge you to have an open heart and an open mind as we talk about this. What does this look like in our context? Imagine for just a moment that you're right up the street here at Walgreens and someone approaches you asking for money. Raise your hand if this has happened to you in the last 12 months. Of course it has. It happens all the time, right? You're at Walgreens and someone approaches you asking for money. However, instead of walking quicker to avoid them, without, instead of turning away, instead of looking, giving a look of disgust, imagine you did this instead. Imagine you took a moment and invited them to lunch. Yeah. Imagine, instead of moving quicker, giving a look of disgust, saying no and keep going, instead of doing that, you stopped, you engaged with them, and you invited them to lunch. Now, I'm still, I'm still going to suggest that you be prudent, right? You should still be wise. Perhaps call a friend or your pastor to come along with you. Women, don't invite a begging man into your car and take him to lunch. And, and men, if you find a woman begging at Walgreens, same applies for you. Okay, let's be smart. But what if you treated that person like a person? What if you created a space for dialogue? What if you met a significant need in this person's life? Hunger, food. And what if you now had the opportunity to tell that person why you just responded differently than every other person they have ever asked for money? What if you now had the opportunity over lunch to share the gospel? Or here's another one. Imagine with me that the company that you worked for just made some employee cuts. And you know that one of the employees that just lost their job has a family to feed. Now, I have no doubt that any of, uh, any of us in here would provide a word of encouragement and pray for that person. And that's great. I'm glad that you would encourage them in that moment. I'm glad that you would, that you would offer to pray for them. But what if you could do more? What if instead of leaving it there, you called up your brothers and sisters in Christ and you said, this is what we're going to do. We're all going to pitch in and buy groceries for that family for a few weeks until they're able to find another job. What if we made some calls to try to secure another job for them? What if we took this opportunity to share with them why we care so much? What if we took this opportunity to share the gospel with them? 
Now, friends, I could spend the next hour providing examples and hypothetical situations, but I think you're a highly intelligent and highly imaginative group. I think you could think up some of these creative things to do yourself, creative ways to serve others and honor God, creative ways to make openings for the gospel message, to create ways to demonstrate the love of God that he has already demonstrated to you. Listen, we may not have miraculous signs like we see here in the book of Acts, but I don't think that that diminishes the potential we have for overcoming obstacles and demonstrating the truth of Christianity. I don't think it diminishes it one bit. In this world, brokenness is everywhere. It always has been, but perhaps it's been amplified even in this last two years. What if we didn't just tell people about the God who loves people in their brokenness? But what if we put him on display instead?